Hey, welcome to another episode of Talk About Anything. Talk About Anything is the long-form conversational podcast from Faith on Hill Church. I'm Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. Today, I'm going to be talking to Matthew Winter. Matthew hosts several podcasts. Uh, He lives up in Washington State. He's not a pastor. He's just a guy who loves Jesus and uh, reads and cares a lot about theology and biblical truth. So we don't agree on everything. We come from different theological uh, perspectives, uh, but I think we have a really uh, respectful and and good conversation. Um, And so uh, that's the whole point of this podcast is to have conversations with different people, uh, people that don't agree with us on everything, uh, people who ask questions and people who we we have to interact with. So I really appreciated my time with Matthew and uh, the time that he gave us in our church. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matthew Winter from the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Yeah, however you want to do it. Okay. So you do uh, a live stream and two podcasts? Uh, Right now, yeah. Well, none none right now. Like, but uh, yeah, I'm getting ready to gear up and do, um, it's going to be three. So it was just reconstructed faith. Um, Then it was commuter Christian because my job changed and I didn't have time. So that was more conversational in my car. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep those. I'm getting ready to add more of like a Bible study one. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm rebranding the whole thing. So the um, brother Matthew ministries is going to start soon. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah. And then a friend of mine, I'm on his live stream Friday mornings. That's called Kingdom on the Road. Okay. Okay. So, so I do lots you of got stuff. A few things. You got a few things going on. Now, you, <laughs> right. you are um, up in Washington State. We're down here in the Portland area. Uh, yep. And you're in, I'm going to try to say it right. Uh, Centra- uh, you're in, you're in Chehalis. I'm in Centralia. Oh, I got it wrong. It's 50 50 chance. And people yeah. in Seattle and Portland do the same thing where we say it's one of those two. Yeah. And <laughs> that's it, fair. It's, it's Centralia or Chehalis. I don't remember. It's yeah. one of those two. Um, 90 miles either way. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, uh, you're a convert. You didn't, you weren't like somebody that was like a believer from, from, you know, the cradle on. You, you, oh, no, no, I grew up in it. I knew, you, I knew you grew up in the church, but you had a conversion moment. Or how would you describe it? I'm speaking for you. Um, so I I would say like I'm someone who had a moment where I realized that there was more to it. Mm. So yeah, what Wesleyans uh, love that. But <laughs> like I uh, I had a moment where I kind of moved from your standard empty evangelicalism to realizing like holy crap like this is the surface of the onion and (laughs) okay yeah so uh i'm curious from your perspective would you say that you had a saving faith before that moment or or would you say that was your your and and it's okay if you don't know oh gosh if if that's how it works you know in the typical perspective where you've got like a, um, that I was 15. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So you, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing because uh, our church, <laughs> our church um, down here in, in Portland area, you know, we, well, we say we're, so it's a weird thing. I have a Portland address, mm-hmm. but there's a city in between us and Portland. Uh, okay. But uh, anyway, so, uh, but, but our church has a, a heritage in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we were like, the way I described it is, sure. is think of like um, the Vineyard or the Baptists or the, the Foursquare, some group that had a founding central figure like uh, Amy Semple McPherson or Chuck Smith or John Wimber or something like that. Right. And imagine that there was a, a, a minority language group of churches that all emulated exactly what that founding figure did. And the founding figure had no idea who they were. <laughs> that was that was our group because we were started by uh, German speaking immigrants to America in like Pennsylvania, and then um, okay they at the time John Wesley and the Methodism movement was like the the the, you know, the forefront of what God was doing in the English speaking world. And so, so is they, it? So, so they were like, like, yeah, Wesley, we would do that. Well, right, and so uh, I I grew up Church of God. Okay. Currently so serve yeah. Church of God. So that that's Wesleyan. Yes. Um even though my personal conviction is somewhere between Luther and Calvin somewhere as far as Yeah, and, and by the way, don't hold that against us. It, you know, of course not. Most people in our church don't know that we're Wesleyan we're <laughs> part of a Wesleyan denomination. Uh, there's good stuff that comes with that. Like man. I'm interesting in that way. Obviously, obviously there are certain, there are certain primary things you need mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, um, if, if Jesus isn't God, you're a heretic. Yes. But, <laughs> we agree but outside, like outside that, my concern is that you have theology. Mm-hmm. We can disagree as long as you know what you believe and you can tell me why you believe it. And you don't just have a faith that's been handed down by your pastor or your dad or whoever, and you actually own your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's my whole platform because that's the journey I went from the guy that kind of just believed because he always has. To the guy that can tell you, well, I believe this about this and this about this, and this is the full, this is the philosophy of why I believe that. These are the scriptures that proof text why I believe that. This is the you know down the line, like that's what I care about. Even if we end up on a different side of the aisle on um, a given a given topic. Yeah, and I want to circle back to that, uh, and I have a specific question I want to get to. Um, okay, but but I think it's worth it's worth noting because um, my my professor of church history uh, said that he thought the 1800s uh, American theology was just by default Wesleyan holiness theology, and in the in in the last century, in the 1900s, American theology was by default. It kind of shifted, and for a while, it was by default um, a tension between uh, that sort of more mainline theology and Pentecostalism. But now he thinks it's shifted to just being 
generically Baptist. Kind um, of, yeah. It's and, and so everybody has that. Everybody has that theology by default. It, and it's interesting because you could be part of a more Pentecostal church or a more um, commu- you know, generic community church or whatever, and you still have that same default theology, even if you use different words or right. don't think of it that way. Well, uh, yeah, the, the default American theology is a vaguely dispensational Baptocostal is kind of what. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, like in we're general. All, like we're all Baptists for the most part, technically, unless you're baptizing babies. We actually have, that's okay. I could do that in our, in our yeah. uh, handbook. And it's this thing, um, whenever a new uh, pastoral candidate meets before our credentialing board, there's this final line in the documents that have to be submitted. Uh, and we're all asked, uh, is there anything within the discipline of the evangelical church, which is an old, it's, it's a thing from Methodism that we stole, uh-huh. uh, but it's our rule book. And, and they'll say, is there anything within the discipline of the evangelical church that you uh, don't support or disagree with or something like that? It's a way to, you know, out a heretic, I suppose, but you didn't reach lies. <laughs> but almost to a person, everybody says something along the lines of, I won't baptize babies because it's in our thing. And there's like, there's like two or three power brokers. And I mean that in a nice way because I like them, uh, but they are, they are sort of more influential than the average leader. And they have this like, traditionalist bent that we cannot change that rule even though uh they can't they can't really tell you why um i although although our churches in our um in our conference in the dakotas and montana they actually for very practical reasons because lutheranism traditional lutheranism is so strong um and they do uh, baptize infants and so they've they've found is they need some theological framework uh for dedicating a baby because basically, if you have a, if somebody who has that background and they just expect it, so how do you like not make that the hill you die on? Right. Um, but they had to think through it, as opposed to over here in the, in the Pacific Conference, Washington and Oregon, where we don't have a good reason why we still have it around. It's just you know, and so so you had um, you had a moment uh, a few years back where you said this. I'm, I've only touched the surface. There's so much more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And, you know, in Wesley's theology, he would call he would emphasize sanctification uh, that, you you know, you're a believer, but then something happens. And uh, we have a lot of wording for that. And then in that kind of vaguely Baptist theology um, that I grew up with, even though I didn't grow up Baptist, um, that, that vaguely Baptist theology, the emphasis is on conversion and justification. And I always tell our church there's you know, the, the two big words every Christian should know is justification and sanctification. Justification Agreed. being uh, when you're made right before God. Sanctification yeah. is when you are made sure. like Jesus. And, um, and and so so we would say, oh, you were sanctified. Uh, I would, I'm speaking in the bigger we. I, I, I'm very if you want to get much more Eastern mysterious too, category. If you want to but, get Eastern too, then there's, there's theosis too that we can add into that. So, but. <laughs> yeah, but you know. So the funny thing is that we have an Eastern Orthodox church just like two minutes down the road from us. And oh, cool. uh, the, one of the last things I did before uh, the lockdowns happened in 2020 was I went to a, a service there uh-huh. um, and I needed to do it for a, a project at school. And uh, uh-huh. so I went and uh, incredibly welcoming, uh, incredibly peaceful. I know just enough 
um, Greek and, and Latin to know when um, when I couldn't say amen to something. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, I would be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, uh, but they were really cool folks. And uh, I think yeah. I, I'm really positive about them as a community. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave them out of the conversation uh, just because their okay. theology is kind of so far out of out of the realm of what most of the folks in, in our context deal with. Um, but you care about going deeper. And I had a, a, a guy in our church a while back. He he said to me, he said, why aren't we all just Christians? You know, why 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 does it matter if we're Baptist or Pentecostal? Um, and he's somewhat similar to you where, where he, you know, it, was he saved a couple of years ago? Was he saved many years ago and then had a, you know, right. a sanctification, sanctifying moment uh, a couple of years ago? Who knows? Uh, but but he was asking me that, and we were talking about it, and I, I like to think I gave a decent answer, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that question. Is, is why aren't we all just Christians? Why is it that, um, why is it that you know, uh, a Baptist church and a Pentecostal church and a, and a Calvary Chapel and a, uh, an independent community church, why, why is it that we have all these divisions and they get Lutherans and Presbyterians and so on? Well, I think part of it, part of it is, oh, where is it? It's in First Corinthians, actually. Um, like Paul talks about how he says, I've heard there's division amongst you, which is only natural. Um, he, he says that basically Paul says that where there's conviction, there'll be division. Okay. So that's part of it. Um, two, um, so the reason is, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a core there's a core belief in Jesus. We're all Christ followers. We're all Christians in that sense. But um, the the fact of the matter is, is the human perspective is part of it too. So um, you can get you, you get twelve guys together. Uh, let's say 12 guys that grew up in the exact same tradition. They go to the same church, um, but just based on the lives they've lived and their experience, they're all going to read a passage differently. Because like, even though we try to exegete and, you know, not, not eisegete, the fact of the matter is, is that our own culture, culture and emotion and experience and all of that is going to flavor how we interpret scripture. So because people are different, our beliefs are different. And, but church is a collective thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not designed to be done individually. So then there's, also the sense where we do tend to find those who are like us or mostly like us and we group together mm -hmm. um I, oh gosh actually let me pull something up here let me find it um, sure. i i uh i talked about this let me find do, 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 do. Which one are you, what are you looking for? Uh, so I have, um, I have, I started going through Mere Christianity on my podcast um, a, a while back, and um, 
I got I got into a whole diatribe on denominations and because I, I was following I was following a study guide. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions in the study guide, it was about denominations. Mm. And for those who don't know, Mr. Christianity is a classic uh, book of the last hundred mm-hmm. years in the, in the Western mm-hmm. church written by C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, Narnia. Um, that's a fantastic book. It's also like what, 70, 80 years old. So bear that in yeah, mind. Nineteen, yeah. 1940s. Um, okay. Let's see. Yeah. So go for it. Yeah. Uh, So many people these days act like denominations are a work of the devil and that if we somehow just got rid of denominations, the church would be unified. In fact, I want to make the case that denominations are necessary for the purpose of Sunday worship and having a body of mostly like-minded believers to be a part of, elders to be underneath, and teaching that hopefully challenges you but passes the test of right doctrine are very important things and what we need to do is learn to agree to disagree we need to learn to divide what is primary or mere christianity uh, which is the point of the book and what are secondary doctrines i think there are lines we we can draw maybe on things like the importance of charismatic works of the spirit, or if communion is simply a memorial or that when Christ said, this is my body, it is somehow true in its most literal sense. If baptism is just a symbol of an inward change, or if it is somehow itself an imparter of some deeper spiritual thing, as said in first Peter, that baptism now saves you. These are valid reasons. I think to not do church with someone as you can't, affirm the things that they are affirming in their ceremonies and liturgies. But when it comes to loving your neighbor, when it comes to being salt and light in the world, there is no reason we can't learn to be ecumenical. I think we need to learn to have the category of, I wouldn't do church with you, but we can do life together. Hmm. I, and, and I think, uh, you know, I, when I was in uh, California and, uh, as a youth pastor, and we would do these um, once a month, all the youth pastors in town would get lunch together. And, yeah. and that was helpful because, um, you know, you'd have a, a, a kid who'd say, oh, I'm I'm going over to this other church's youth group now. And then, you, you know, you know the guy. So then you'd call him up, say, hey, you know, I hear so-and-so, you know, is going there. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They started coming because they have a bunch of friends. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. And then somebody else calls me up and says, hey, I hear so-and-so is going to your youth group. And I say, like, I saw them once. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what they're doing on Wednesday night, but it's not it's not youth group. Um, right. And and so uh, I think for, for our, you know, for those things, like it started with that. And then we started doing these twice a year evangelistic uh, sort of outreaches. And there were two high schools in town. So in the fall, we do it at one high school. And in the spring, we do it at the other. And six, seven churches, you know, we put together a pretty good deal, you know, uh, a lot of fun stuff and, and didn't cost us a lot of money because we're all crowdsourcing it. And so somebody said, hey, let's do summer camp together. I said, that'll never happen. And then why not? I said, because here's just the reality of it is that, like, when you go, we, we can all partner together and have lunch. Yep. And we can all partner together and do these outreach events because we all affirm the same gospel. But if we go to summer camp, um, I've been to uh, charismatic summer camps, and I know that the Assemblies of God guys are, are, are going to want to uh, lay hands and baptize people in the Holy Spirit. 
And the cessationist, which means somebody who doesn't believe the gifts of the Spirit for today, uh, the cessationist church down the road that we work with, they will their, their youth pastor probably get fired if he brought his kids to that event. So right. <laughs> you know, you just can't. There's a there's like a line at which working together becomes untenable, uh, and that can right. be different for different types of churches. Like there is a, a, a I had lunch with a, a couple of years ago. I had lunch with a Lutheran pastor, and 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 it's I'm not saying this for all Lutherans, just for him and his church. Yep. He had very little point where he could uh, do stuff with the the other churches in the area. Right. Um, so he's probably more towards the confessional side. Yeah, of it just it just didn't work for him to yep. like. Uh, it was kind of all or nothing. And, yep. Okay, fine, good guy, nice nice family. I met their family, whole thing. But he just for him, he couldn't find the common ground enough to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas, like you know, my theological place you know i have a lot more freedom to do that and usually i find where i can't do stuff with people is if uh you know there's always somebody who just needs to be the chief all the time and doesn't want to work with me i was like well i don't need to deal with that right um but uh yeah i I think i think there's this idea that like it's always bad but it it gives us um a framework of commonality like a lot of folks in my church have, have expressed to me that they feel um politically homeless they're neither right nor left mm-hmm. and and so so our church is kind of like a, a place where they don't they don't have to worry that they're going to show up on sunday morning and the preacher is going to rant uh you know basically 27 of a 30 minute sermon is going to be some political rent and then there's going to be a little three minute by the way jesus is awesome uh, <laughs> so, so they'll go from there but i also was thinking about this too because um somebody asked me recently they said uh my daughter um, has a friend at school who's a Mormon and they invited her to some church stuff and we're trying to figure out, you know, the best response, you know, to this whole thing. And I said, I said, uh, it needs to be more blunt and direct than most people are comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but I have had situations where I've had friends in, in the Mormon church who have said, you know, we want you to come do this or this. And I say, look, I'm just going to be, straightforward with you i love to have coffee with you i love to barbecue with you i want to hang out but let's not let's be honest about things and and that you will invite me to your thing but i'd be very surprised if you'll come to my thing and and if you would that's fair we can have that back and forth mm-hmm. but but the reality is is that um when i became the pastor here my, the denomination transferred my credentials uh, so my you know my ordination credentials so i can you know do marriages and things. Right. Um, they they recognized the group of churches I had previously been a part of, mm-hmm. while different, and we had to they had to you know ask me some questions about some theological stuff to make sure I could hang. But they said they're they're believers, and and so uh, yeah. somebody could could be part of uh, our church here. They get a job in uh, in in Phoenix. So they moved to Phoenix and then they joined a Baptist church. And then they get a couple years later, they get transferred to Dallas. And then they find, you know, Hey, there's this, um, there's this community church. that's really good. And the theology might be different, but they're all believers. A Mormon can't do that. A Mormon can't, you know, like take a job out in the middle of nowhere. And there's not a a Latter-day Saint church anywhere for two hours. I'm just going to go to the Baptist church. They would be expected to drive for two hours. Right. That that's they'd be expected to drive the two hours. And I think that's where denominations actually give a certain amount of like um 
framework for for what's within the faith, because as we can move between one and the other to some extent, it kind of gives us about a, a some it 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 self identifies its own boundaries. We don't have to figure it out. Uh, can can a, can a Jehovah's Witness start coming to faith on Hill and it's no big deal? No. Can a Baptist start coming to faith on Hill and the Baptists aren't going to freak out? Yes. And so. So I think that helps us clarify things. Yeah, let me drill down a little bit more. I found basically, um, I found the next section Mm -hmm. in my stuff. Yeah. Um, Okay. It says, we can't ignore denominationalism. As long as people have opinions, they're going to have opinions about the Bible. Until we're glorified and have perfected understanding, we are all, in fact, going to have our own interpretation. So if we admit the inevitability of denominations, we need to ask ourselves, since they are here and they aren't going anywhere, what are the benefits of denominations? Well, humans need to categorize stuff. It's part of the human condition. And one of the benefits of denominations is categorization. Someone can tell me they're a Christian, and it tells me nothing more about what they believe than they claim to follow some version of Jesus. It doesn't even tell me if they have a biblical view of Jesus or something else. If someone tells me they're non-denominational, I know that means they believe in the Trinity and salvation through Christ and their default position is roughly dispensational, uh, is a roughly dispensational understanding of scripture with a Baptist view of baptism and communion, but they don't actually care about the theology and don't really think it matters that much. Um, if you do, if you do care and do have opinions, you actually belong to a denomination and just happen to attend a non-denominational church. <laughs> if someone tells me they are Pentecostal, that tells me they believe in charismatic gifts. They believe in tongues, healing, words of knowledge. If you are, if you are a Pentecostal who believes that tongues are the sign of the Spirit, and those who have never had that experience aren't aren't saved. Take note, not all believe this. You're pretty much only going to do church with others that believe the same, because everyone else isn't really Christian. So strong convictions are another reason for denominationalism. The Lutherans, for instance, like you were just discussing, take Christ at his word when he said, this is my body. Uh, They don't believe like the Catholics, that it literally physically becomes flesh and blood, but they would say that by some divine mystery, it is also the body and blood. They believe what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that if we take it in an unworthy manner, we eat curses on ourselves and could get sick or even die. If you go to a Lutheran church and aren't Lutheran, they will not let you take communion because they don't want you to get sick or die or be cursed. So Lutherans can't do church with other Christians because of their view of what they call the sacraments. They don't believe anyone else administers true communion. If you're Presbyterian, it means you're Reformed. But unlike the Reformed Baptist, you see baptism as the sign of the new covenant and you baptize babies, just as the Jews circumcised. So denominations really just help us have labels for certain kinds of doctrinal beliefs. So it is helpful to communicate ideas. Also, from the standpoint of ecclesiology, uh, which is uh, which is the study of the church. For those that don't know what that means, a denomination usually has a church hierarchy of some kind. So each local body has the support of a larger denominational body. 
often non-denominational churches are completely independent. So denominations are helpful from a support standpoint. Yeah. And it's interesting about that. And this is why I think it's worth. I know that was a lot, but. Yeah. What I, and this is partly why I think it's worth reminding folks that it's an older book. Not that it's less valuable, but um, I was I was at a. Uh, well, none of that's in the book. That was all my commentary. Oh, that's your commentary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, um, but what's interesting on that is, is that it, it kind of shows there's generally true. Like I generally agree with that on, on a general characterization of all the the groups yep. um, and then there's also like a a certain amount of oh, that's kind of true you know uh right. it, it, by case by case um I, I think i think having those this framework is helpful and then the danger is then you pigeonhole somebody in the moment you hear right. oh you know uh, oh you're part of them or whatever and, you're one of those uh, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and 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 that doesn't help anybody because then it, it reduces people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now I have a question for you, uh, yeah. that I think stirs up because you and I have never actually spoken, uh, before we've, we've interacted, uh, cause we, we found ourselves in a couple of, uh, yeah, similar we some shared, we some shared groups. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to these sort of denominational divides, mm -hmm. does that make some of the, um, teachings in the new Testament regarding how church is supposed to be run? irrelevant not because the bible is irrelevant but irrelevant because the church no longer operates within that system uh some some ones i would think of uh one that gets quoted a lot uh is the uh from matthew where jesus talks about uh if somebody does something you go to them if they won't receive you you go get someone else if they won't receive them you take it before the whole church well that works when there's one church in town you know the church in ephesus was the church in ephesus the church in antioch was the the only church in antioch right um, so as an example, using that as an example, are there things in terms of where the New Testament teaches about how the church is supposed to be run that are no longer applicable, not because they aren't valid, but because we don't live in that system? We've made them in, unapplicable. I think, so this would be uh, kind of going to my next point on the list there. <laughs> um, this would be, I think, our our church or denomination or whatever structure it is that we're part of should have their version of that. It is absolutely mm -hmm. applicable. Um, I really think that God has outlined for us in Scripture how to gather, how to be a body, how to have a structured church environment. Um. Now, does it apply one for one? Maybe not, but we need we we need to have us we need to have something set up that is our version of the thing. Yeah, we need to be holding to that principle, right? The spirit of the law. Sure. I, well, I guess what I mean is though, like, so this comes so, up a lot. Where so I mean, if there's a beef between you and someone else in your church. Sure. Go to that person. Yes. If it's not resolved, go to someone else. If it's not resolved, go to an elder. Like go up the chain of your individual. Because uh, yes, you know, uh, there's God. I don't know how many between Centralia and Shehalis. There's probably fifty churches. Mm -hmm. In and 
that's only a population of about 25,000 people. Sure. So, <laughs> no, there's not one church. But um, at least at least within your given body, I absolutely think that we should be promoting this kind of structure. Yes, and we do have, since the primary audience of this podcast is people in my church. Yeah, uh, we do have that. Yeah, uh, because and, and we have we have a system for that. Because elders and pastors and all of that ultimately, um, biblically, are shepherds. Like the 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 responsibility is the care of your flock. Sure. So I, but I guess I guess what I'm speaking their of their like, outside not of just the local speak- church though. Oh, outside Oof. because because in the sense of like uh we have our local church and and, uh-huh. and you let's say you'll say that in in this area just in in milwaukee oak grove and gladstone which is this area we're in south of portland uh yep. there's probably if, if we were to add up like every single church there's probably 50 churches uh, yep. somewhere between 30 to 50 and uh, i've never added it up all up because some move in and out like um, there was like the Lord's anointing church that was down on a, um, on a strip mall on a, on McLaughlin. And that's like, right. was there for two years and it's gone. So it's like, right. Of it. But, uh, but, but, but generally well, speaking, I've got a, probably we've, we've got a Baptist churches. church on every corner, literally. So. <laughs> yeah. so there's probably 30, 40 churches. And so let's say that something goes on in, in one of these other churches, like we have no mechanism to do right. these, these biblical structures. Right. Um, and, and and I had a friend who uh, somebody in their church um, did some really sketchy stuff. Mm-hmm. And internally, they handled it all correctly. Well, then the guy moves, you know, a couple towns down the I-5 corridor and the guy finds out what church he's going to. He, the pastor I'm friends with calls the pastor of that church and says, hey, this guy is he did not leave well, um, did these things. It's not a question. He did these things. And the pastor just said, yeah, we're, we don't care about that. We're, we're all about, you know, forgiveness. So we're going to ignore all the pain and hurt he left in two towns up. And there's no right. recourse for that. So that's what I'm getting at is like, are there things that are um, almost in some ways, either we, we just need to functionally leave them for right now, or they're being used as systems of control or systems of protecting sin, because uh, as, as an example, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there, uh, there's a website, julieroys.com and she's oh, like, here Christian we go. All right. Drudge. <laughs> this is where I'm getting at, but I think it's, it's to the bigger conversation. So she's like a Christian Matt Drudge she, she, and I don't mean to belittle her because she does good work. And I know some people who have talked to her directly, uh, for reporting on a story here in Oregon and, and they speak very well of her and her team. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but she basically, her, her thing is exposing corruption and abuse in the church. And her, her big thing is, uh, churches that have protected, uh, sexual abusers. Right. Yep. And so we know some people who have said, uh, she is unbiblical because she's not following Jesus's commands in the gospel of Matthew to, did you go to them? Did you bring two witnesses? Did you bring them? No, you're just reporting. Even if she has the facts, even if she has documentation for everything, and and uh, I, I like to I find it amusing that um, I've known people who will post her stuff on social media like see see and then she finds something out about somebody that they like and they're like she's a gossip she's not following <laughs> Matthew you can't trust her she's a woman right. all that stuff right because now uh, their guy's under fire yes exactly right and then they start to circle the way and do the exact same thing <laughs> right. um, 
that, uh, that that they were complaining about. But that's what I'm getting at is, are there things like, you know, I've got friends who just have been out of shape about biblical eldership. And it's like, but that may not be possible when it used to be there would be one church in an area like where I'm at, and now there's 30 or 40. Right. Um. So I'm a little bit of an idealist. You know, um, ideally, there would be a way to do it ecumenically. Well, which is even even what we uh, even what we see in Scripture. Um, you know, Paul and James and like all of them couldn't agree on stuff, so they actually got together and they had a big you know kind of cross church meeting. Yes, where they hashed stuff out. We get the Jerusalem Council. Yeah, Acts eighteen. Uh-huh. And, and and actually, we we see this in the early church. That's how we got the creeds and the councils and all of that. So you would have, um, you would have the Antiochian fathers and the Alexandrian fathers and the Jerusalem fathers and all the different from across the the empire, and they would meet together to hash out. Okay, what do we all believe on stuff? Yes, uh, and. And, rather, and than would, being, rather than being sectarian. And I'd be all for that. The problem is getting people together. Um, right. You right. know, I, I made a point. Um, uh, we have a podcast called The 20-Minute Bible Study, and it's, it's mm. literally what it sounds like. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we're finishing up uh, 1 Samuel. It's, it's basically where we do all the bigger books in the Bible that would take us five years on a Sunday morning. Uh, right. And so, so we're finishing up 1 Samuel. Saul, like asks for assisted suicide and i it was what was stuck out to me and i commented on at the time was um we've been talking about assisted suicide as a as a nation as a culture and within the church for 20 30 years you know ever since dr kevorkian rose to prominence right we've never actually had conversations like what's usually happened is um somebody says hey what about this and whoever the strongest voice in a local congregation or in a group of churches shouts right. it down, and the conversation never happens because you're afraid right. to have the conversation. Uh, but but since since we're so sectarian, that's why I'm kind of going back to since we're so sectarian, are there things like how to do church discipline, how to structure a church that might we might have to be pragmatic about and say, you know what, it just this is the way it's worked out for us here in America because. We have a refusal. We have a refusal to do these things. Um, hmm. And it's okay if you don't know. I'm just, I'm just uh, throwing it out there. Uh, yes, yes, and no. Like I, like I'm still going to stand that I think on, like on principle. Yes. Uh, each church should be trying to, um, you know, biblically qualify elders and follow church discipline and do do all of the stuff that we see in scripture rather yeah. than saying, OK, well, I just don't think, you know, it, I think the attempt should at least be made. Rather yeah. than for us just to say, okay, well, that was then, and this is now, and this is a different time and place, and all culture is, is different. So, heck with all that. This is what works for us. Mm-hmm. If you're not attempting to submit 
to, you know, the blueprint of scripture, I think that you're in error. It can look different. It can look different than what it looks like in scripture methodologically. Yeah. But but I'm saying in principle, the, the actually undergirding theology behind the structure of your church is the biblical blueprint. Even if methodologically it looks different from the church down the street, as long as everyone is actually trying to be biblical about how they do church, I don't care. But there are but there are a lot of churches and whole denominations of churches that have a well that was then this is now we have our one pastor our elders are a board of yes men you know kind of structure like pastor is ceo mm-hmm. kind of situation um and we see what happens yeah i i i, I argue <laughs> we just see what happens in general um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because um, I, you know, it's easy to take. What happens, I think, with that particular model is it's mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's the only model that scales up to thousands and thousands of people. There is generally speaking not a church that has the sort of uh, shared eldership that you're describing right. uh, that that goes to those for a long for a sustainable period of time goes to those large, uh, those large numbers. Uh, generally speaking, there is a, right. a sing, singular CEO type leader. Uh, right. And churches and churches that say that's not the case, uh, oh no, we don't have that. We have, you know, shared eldership and, you know, the pastor is not the, he's the, they're, they're lying. And he, mostly to themselves. <laughs> they're mostly lying to themselves more than anyone because we can all see it. Yeah, uh, right. you guys so say then, you have an elder board. When was the last time you said no to the, right. you know? Yeah, so then, and, and that's a very good point, and I would agree with you. So then the question becomes, are these larger churches, these mega churches, to use the term, biblical? Are they, if they're too big to be managed by a biblical model, are they biblical? Are are they a church at all? I, I believe so. I <laughs> my perspective is I grew up in a mega church, okay. um, and I grew up in one of those churches where my mom was the fifth person to show up to Bible study. And two years later, there was a couple hundred people, and by the time I came along, uh, I think seven years later, um, that it was you know a couple thousand people. Oh yeah, I get it. And, I grew up church of. Uh, Congregation of anywhere between eight hundred to a thousand, split yeah. across two services. Yeah. Oh. So, so I grew up in a big church, and I've spent majority of my adult life in ministry in churches of one hundred and fifty or less, mm-hmm. uh, and mostly less than a hundred. Um. So I've seen kind of both sides, and then I did spend a little bit of time a couple of years in a mid-sized church of about seven eight hundred people. Um. And I want to personally, first of all, I want to see more of those mid-sized churches, three to 800 people, because that, that's yeah. really shrinking right now. There's a yeah. lot of small churches, a lot of big churches, and there's fewer and fewer of that, of that 80s, 90s, you know, church of three to 800 people. Right. Uh, which is, which but, is what I grew up in. Yeah. And, and that's what I'd like to see more of for a lot of reasons. But the, the idea that these, what happens when a church gets to be 
a thousand people, five thousand people. In some ways, they become a denomination. I mean, there are there are denominate like official denominations uh, that are made up of a hundred churches. Uh, we're a hundred churches over uh, over five states, but all of those churches are anywhere from. 25 to 300 people. So when you add up the total number, you know, on a Sunday morning, that denomination might have, uh, you know, 100 churches of, of 100 people. You're only talking, you know, what, 10,000 10, people? In so, an elevation, and you've got 15,000 people in one yes. building. Yeah. For I service. Mean, AP Creek, which is the biggest <laughs> church in – is it the biggest church in Oregon? It's definitely the biggest church in, in, the, in the Portland area. Uh-huh. Uh, I probably the biggest church in Oregon. What's true? It has more people on a Sunday morning than our entire denomination combined. You know, uh-huh. so so at what point do we say like, is it a church or is it a denomination? It's a or, right. or at least a micro denomination, right? Uh, relative to like the assemblies of God or the Baptists, which are far far larger. Um, right. And well, then the point, yeah. So so I think there's an element where um, the, the the bigger churches that do it well are the ones who eventually structure themselves more like a denomination right and the bigger churches who don't do it well are the ones who still try to have that same structure from when they were 300 people but just right. on a larger scale right um, and what happens with that many people is you're just you're not shepherding people at that point there's no way to have um you know elders that are over people because there's so many people i i i don't know if that's the case. I mean, admittedly, I grew up in a big church, but I, it was two to three thousand people at, at Zenith. Uh-huh. So, so I can't speak to what it's like at a church of twenty thousand. Right. Um, I've known people who have been part of those churches, um, but I can't speak to it. I can only speak to you Fair know enough. that this size. And I know that um, well, I'm spitballing because yeah. you know we did talk about the uh, you know kind of biblical elder like like, yeah. like that only gets so big we were discussing it, and it, you it have does. to have like the pastor as ceo model to kind of have mega church growth and it, it does and i just wonder i wonder if the shepherding slash discipleship slash you know accountability piece is the difference there that you have less of that in a pastor as CEO church than you do as an elder run church? I, I think not. Okay. But I think it, I think it always depends. So I I think two things happen. One is that, that stuff happens organically and it really bothers people like a friend of mine uh, who, he, he would say, this person doesn't have that title. And I would say, yeah, but they're doing it. And, and so they, but he, he, had, he was adamant that they had to have the official title. And I would say, but it's getting done. Right. And, and so that really bothered him. So I think organically stuff happens, even if it's not called that. Um, okay. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the difference, should we call somebody a pastor or an elder or a bishop or how that, it, who right. cares if the work's it's getting title. done. Um, and then the other thing that happens is somebody might say, well, we are better about discipleship, quote unquote. But what they're better about is a 12-week process. 
<laughs> and then we rubber stamped you disciple. Um, and, and, and well, my church, that's something that's I really other conversation. <laughs> reject because I don't think that's how life works. You know, uh, so you get, you get, and even if, even if that was the case, there's always continual learning. Um, so, but, but I think, I think sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking. So, so I think when we're talking about these things though, and I want to circle back is, uh, cause you, you were saying like one of your big things is going deeper and yeah. I think what happens is there is a surface level Christian uh, cultural acceptance that, that I'm, I'm a believer, um, but they never the person never goes beyond the surface level of their faith. Right, and that's true in in churches big and small. Right. Yep. And so uh, you know sometimes a person goes to a big church because they they don't want anybody to challenge them. They can slip in and slip out on a Sunday and nobody knows that they're there and nobody challenges them. And sometimes a person goes to a small church because they can't just slip in and slip out, but nobody can challenge them because, you know, they're, they're uh, Sally's kid and, and Sally's going to come at you. What are you doing challenging my kid? Right. Um, and, right. and that's a very real thing in, in smaller churches, especially yeah. ones that kind of become built around a clan, you know, a, 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 yeah. And, and so, um, so I think both can happen. The, 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 yeah, the challenge of going deeper. I'm curious from your perspective, uh-huh. how, how deep should the average Christian go? What, what should the average Christian, let's say that you become a Christian and, you know, you've been a Christian for a number of years. What, what's the, what's the, the depth that somebody who's been a believer in Jesus, in your opinion, for like a 10 year period? What should they be expected to know? Gosh, I get asked that a lot. Um, well, so let me little little bit of why is if we actually so if we actually believe in the priesthood of all believers, and we are we are living life on mission. Our job as a Christian is to live the kingdom at work at home at play wherever um which which i've always believed and thought i was doing but um then i how to put this gosh what is a base i would say that whatever your given denomination is i think um like a, of the church that someone is part of, right? Whatever body they attend, um, they should they should at least know the denominational distinctives. Like like my church believes these things, mm-hmm. and um, be able to speak to why their church believes those things. Mm-hmm. Like especially if you've done it for a while. Um, like Vadi used a good analogy, uh, Mr. Bacham, um, you So you go to work. You st- uh, you start a new job as a bricklayer. Um, they they pair you up with the guy who's getting ready to retire. He's been laying bricks for like forty years. You, yeah. 
you go up to him and you say, okay, teach me everything you know. And he says, I just work here. I don't know nothing about no bricks. Like on your, at your job, that would not be acceptable. Like if you had worked there for 40 or 50 years, you know, some stuff. Mm -hmm. Why do we think as Christians, it's okay for us to just stay at, okay, I'm saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not grow in knowledge of the Bible, at least by exposure. And, you know, interpretation and at least doctrine and theology to a point, like we should at least be able to have a conversation about, um, you know, at the beginning, we, we threw out words like justification, sanctification, like these are, uh, you know, churchianity words. It's Christianese. I think that at least at a base level, we we should all know what these things are. I think that's because it's the problem, though, is that we have to separate through uh, what's church jargon. You know, Christianese is the, is the shorthand for that. Yep. And what are our words that are theological words, like justification, sanctification? Yeah, uh, right. I which are words that are in the Bible. I wish those were Christianese. I wish those were words that were more widely understood That'd be great. by the average American <laughs> Christian. Uh, versus, like, somebody would come up and say, how's your walk? That's a very churchy <laughs> thing to say. Right. How's right. your walk? And what they mean is, in general, snapshot, how are you doing? And is, is, is your faith strong? Are you loving God? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? You're not, you're not in any kind of life, you know, life bonding, you know, like right. life destroying sin. Uh, they, they mean this general, like, how's it going? But it's a very, very churchy thing to say. Right. Versus like, um, Versus somebody saying uh, some a word using a word like uh, justification and having people know what that means, and I think that's part of the problem is that we have to like. Right. That's why I don't like putting time frames on things because what yeah. if somebody comes into the church and they're a new believer, but they have to like they have all this church culture stuff that they have to spend the first five years sifting through. Right. And then oh, they figure some things out. So oh, yeah, uh, no. I'm always hesitant on putting it. A time on that because I know yeah, in some yeah, situations yeah, no. it takes all the Yeah, numbers. I would agree. Um, I would agree with that for sure. Um, another reason I really think it matters right now is uh, there's so much Christian adjacent stuff that's out there, mm -hmm. getting peddled towards Christians, getting peddled yes. as Christianity, and sadly, most evangelicals don't have enough doctrinal grounding you know the difference I, i'm curious we've I'm gonna ask you we've to, got you know, uh, you know we've got this is us out there that just started now yeah that, um, we've that got a lot campaign. yeah uh we've got a lot of the uh progressive christian stuff out there which is really just jesus as a model for life without any kind of sin theology or you know yeah christus exemplar the Christ right. is our example. Exactly. Right, right. And these are sold, and those authors are sold in Christian bookstores. They get mm -hmm. put in Christian publications. Mm -hmm. And there is no discernment to know better. Mm 
Yeah. Um, I, I do agree. Like that is a, a challenge because now more than uh, ever, because, well, I think it's always been like, if, if something gets put in a Christian bookstore and the Christian bookstore is not what it, not even close to what it was once was. Yeah. But fair enough. The, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Christian bookstore is, it, you know, was this gatekeeper for so many things in popular Christianity up until, you know, 2005, let's say. Yeah. Um, but, but if something That's got fair. put in there that was, um, not really even Christian, but it got put in the, in the church bookstore, people sure. would just gobble it up. Um, and, and I remember uh, when I lived in England, uh, there was, there were two that I could think of two Christian bookstores in, in Manchester. Um, uh-huh. and there's probably a few more, but it mean, think about that, like the difference between America and Europe, you know, there's a city of two and a half million people. And I knew where the two Christian bookstores were. Uh, and, and, uh, so I, I remember going to one and the bigger one and, uh, and, and to give you a time frame, it's early two thousands. I'm mm-hmm. just looking for a, a, a CD and, yeah. And so I'm looking for the CD and, and I see something else, which is a CD that I own. And I'm like, this isn't a Christian artist. There's swears on this one. And I remember telling the guy, I said, look, I'm not being judgmental or, or like legalistic. Like I own this record, but you know, there's probably somebody that's going to buy this thinking it's all safe and family friendly. Then they pop it on their, in their car or on their home stereo. And then all of a sudden the guy's dropping some swears and they're going, wait a minute, what? And the guy's like, eh, you know, it's just business, right? Right. Uh, yeah. For sure. So I do think I think that kind of adjacent now the adjacent stuff since it's so driven by social media is it's decentralized, which sometimes makes it harder to spot. Right. Yep. So that's that's part of it. And then the other big like this was the big motivator for me that made me go deeper. It is so. Now we live in a time where there are skeptics and there are atheists that know more about why they don't believe mm-hmm. than your average Christian knows about why they believe. And they can come at you with all this stuff that's in your own Bible mm-hmm. that you don't have answers for because it, mm-hmm. well, I never learned that in Sunday school. Yeah, that is true. And yeah, so so I I worked with a guy like that, um, and that was the big impetus for me to really dive deeper. I'm like, well, you, you know what? If I'm living life on mission, mm-hmm. and I've got you know this guy and other people like this that, that I'm going to run into and encounter, I need to be equipped. And then so yeah. that that's really where my deep dive started, just from an evangelical desire to be able to deal with what's out there. Yeah, and we should probably define the word a little bit here. Evangelical, uh, for this conversation, is just speaking of the generalized, generally white Protestant church in America. We're not speaking about what evangelicalism was originally, which, by the way, original evangelicalism, I have no problem signing off on. Nor are we speaking about what evangelicalism has come to mean, which is a very politi- politicized church-adjacent thing. Uh, incidentally, I, re- I read a study. Uh, uh, I forget if it was Pew or if it was one of the other big uh, uh, 
researchers, but they had done a poll, and the number one common denominator of a Trump evangelical was that they did not go to, go to church. This was wow. uh, this was 2018, so that I don't know if that metric <laughs> is still the case, right? But right, but it was something that they did a poll in the first year or two of his presidency, and they said the num- they said that the, one of the big common denominators of a Trump evangelical uh, was that they did not go to church, and I'm not making. My church knows I am I am actively non-political, so I'm not making a, a comment about uh, the president <laughs> in any way. I am just right. saying statistically, among people who identified themselves as Trump evangelicals, uh, that was the big one. Is they they did right. not go to church. Oh yeah, make that what you will. Right. Well, yeah, I said I said evangelical there, and what I meant is for the sake of evangelism. Okay. Yeah. Which is which like is at work, really the original meaning of the word. Right. Like I'm at work and I'll be honest, I'm like it is less than two weeks into a new job before mm-hmm. everyone there knows that I'm on my worship band, that mm-hmm. I have a Christian podcast. Like I've never been shy. Like even even before I learned all the stuff that I've learned, I've never been shy about sharing my faith. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, and just, yeah. Uh, I reached a point where I realized that, um, like the scholarship of unbelief mm-hmm. is very high scholarship. And, and if we're go, and if we're going to be serious about evangelism, it just in it in our everyday lives, we we absolutely need to be dabbling in theology and biblical interpretation and apologetics and all of these things like yes it's okay to tell your friend or your coworker or your neighbor or your cousin or whoever i don't know yeah but it would be even better to say you know what i don't know right now but let's walk in that together let's ask that question let's discover what this means mm-hmm. and then you have the relationship but how many Christians even have the tools to know how to sit in that and walk in it and ask the hard question? When, when we're told that, you know, doubt is bad, like, how dare you question your faith? Hasn't God been good to you? Yeah, not at our church, <laughs> but, but I, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> In fact, we're about to get it. We're starting the book of Job on Sunday. So, so there's going to oh, be a lot go. about doubt. Um, awesome. But the, yeah, I think the, I think in terms of tools, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we have, it's not hard to do a Google search. Uh, I don't know if you've right. ever had a job like this, but I had a job. I was the youth pastor at a church and everyone else in, uh, on staff was 30 years older than me. They were all in their early 60s to late 60s. That's never good, by the way, but uh, I did it. I was there. And anytime something would happen with the computer in the office, they'd say, hey, Adam, can you come help? And I said, yeah, give me a minute. And then they didn't know, but I was just Googling whatever their issue was. And I'd Google it. And then I'd say, oh, okay. Uh, And then I'd go over and I'd fix their problem if I could. And sometimes it wasn't that. And I'd say, okay, yeah, we've got to, we've got to call. There's a guy in the church who's really savvy with with the computers. I said, yeah, this is beyond us. We'll have to call him and he'll come, you know, in a day or two and fix it. Um, But most of the time it was just Google it. And I think the same thing can be true with, you know, somebody 
a neighbor, a family member, a coworker asks a question. Google that business. Half the time, half the time you'll find out that that uh, you, you you get your answer real quick. Uh, I'm not saying everything on the internet's true because most That's of how it's I not. started. But you can start out by just googling. Like if somebody says, um, you know, hey, uh, trying to think of like common question, but like somebody says, uh, you know, the 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 church the church did all these terrible things. Well, Google it. Get on the Wikipedia. Find out what actually happened. Because maybe the church did, or maybe what they're calling the church wasn't the church. Uh, You know, and and uh, I, I do think. If somebody's part of a big church, they should have connection to somebody within that church. And by being at churches that have tended to be sub-150, I've always had connection with people. So I get texts from people yeah. asking me, hey, I read this in the Bible. I have a question about this. My friend asked me this. And I you know, yeah, I get back to him, like say, quick answer. Here's the thing. I'm happy to talk more in person. Uh, or sometimes I'll say, like, hey, like, you got to give me a day on that one because I got to do I got to do some reading. You got to do more than a Google search. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to take me a minute because it's an, you know, let's just be honest. Like even your doctor, I hate, it's like, you hate to break it, but, but your doctor goes to medical school and they know a ton about physio- physiology and anatomy and all that stuff. But they're generally dealing with people who have coughs and colds and a broken arm and all that kind of stuff. And then if you get a rare blood disease, they're not going to know what they're talking about, right? And so it's not shouldn't feel bad if somebody comes with this like very obscure question. You have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, it's, it's only that you should have the, the, the freedom to say, yeah, let's look that up. Sure. Um, right. And honestly, yeah. half the time, like as much as pop, as much as there's like a surface level of belief in American Christianity, there's also a surface level of doubt in American skepticism. And so then yep. you get like the one that just I'm I'm so annoyed with, and I'm not annoyed at a person, I'm annoyed at ignorance, is um that the Bible was written 300 years after Jesus. Uh, but a bunch of guys got together three, four hundred years after Jesus and wrote the Bible. Right. And, oh my goodness, it's such lazy criticism. Let's uh, do a little it, research, people. It's 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 provably untrue right. that that's the case, yep. but it's 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 easy to say. And it's lazy criticism. Like, if you want to disagree with what the Bible says, that's fine. But don't be lazy and say it was just written three, four hundred years later when we know that's not the case. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I agree. I mean, I think uh, that's true. Uh, but And then the other reasons. So that was one piece. That was the piece for me. Like, hey, I want to actually be able to have these conversations and sure. be qualified and whatnot. But then there's the other piece where I know there there are going to be those who have lived through less than I have that don't have the the strength of faith and the knowledge of God's presence that uh, I have accumulated over my life of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they're going to hear these questions and objections and maybe it will cause doubt and it will rock their faith. Mm hmm. So, um, I'm very, yeah. Uh, uh, so that was the other big piece for me about why I kind of started, um, what I've been doing online with the podcast and the blog and all that over the past few years is, Hey, let's hear these objections Mm -hmm. and all of this kind of other outside stuff from a believer. 
and learn how to navigate this information rather than, yeah. uh, you know, rather than uh, the first time you hear about a literary view of scripture or you hear that um, there's all these other ancient myths that are very much like the Bible and the Bible just copied from those. Like rather than hearing that from your atheist coworker for the first time, why aren't we talking about these things in discipleship? in small groups, in our churches, and, and, and how to navigate this. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that already. And, and, and then they have, like, they're not for the first time out in the wild being smacked with this huge objection they've never heard before. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think there's probably also a... Um, there is a need for um, there is a need for certainty it, it, that exists within Western or American Christianity, right? Uh, that that to me the answer might not be knowing about some obscure facts about um, you know the goddess Ishtar or something like that. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it well, might I, be just doing just away watching with a thing that on need. that yesterday. It's funny yeah. you say that. No. <laughs> but it might be. But it might be just let's do away with this need for certainty. Like for example, uh, as I'm I'm starting Job and I've been getting my head around it, and uh, I read this this quote from a prominent, well-known, respected church leader who says, "If Job, if if your pastor says that Job is 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 anything less than 100 real historical figure." you should consider leaving that church. And I was like, oh, what a terrible statement because I know you don't actually mean it. I know if I was sitting there with you and I pushed back, you would you would backpedal. So you, you made this flippant statement and that's dangerous enough because you're influential. But the reason that people are so dogmatic about Joe being literal, and funny enough, I actually think chances are it's literal. But... Oh. Uh, but the reason I'm I'm not dogmatic about it is that I don't need it to be. I don't right. it, that if if Job is one of the other two alternatives that it's it's historically embellished, which was a common practice in some ancient cultures. Where yeah, mytho history. Mytho history. You take a true story and then you you make it you add to it. Right. Uh, you write, you so make comments about it a true event. Yeah, let's say it's mytho history, which which essentially is like Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Yeah. Um, so you, you do that. Let's say that Job is, is mytho history. Then uh, what is it that you learn from the his, the historically true parts? Uh, and, and even the the let's call it mytho. Let's say that let's say there's an allegory that's you know being used. Let's say Job's 100 percent allegorical. It's a it's it's believers using the creativity God gave them the same as we know Song of Songs is not literal. It's it's it's, it's it is a fictional artistic creation of a believer. Right. So let's say it's that. That doesn't change that Jesus is real. No. And that Jesus, Jesus was that's over 500 eyewitnesses saw somebody that they believed to be. Jesus Christ, who had been publicly executed and is now risen from the dead. Right. And it doesn't and it, change the yeah. theology and the doctrine that we can learn from Job if we go into Job with the assumption that that's what's being taught rather than some historical account. Yeah, because we, we project our modern ways of writing 
in our modern divisions of genre. Because that's something you'll hear from people to say, well, you just have to know what genre it is. And so Job is not a historical genre. Well, what if it is? But we're projecting our modern genres onto them. Um, And and so I I think there's these ideas that like, oh, wait, it's not real? Well, it may not be literal. I tend to think it is, but it may not be. And that shouldn't shake our faith. So, So, you know, somebody comes along and they'll say this thing and then people are just like, what? Instead of saying like, I come across something about every couple of years that challenges my faith. Um, something I have to go, oh, I gotta really wrestle. Oh, yeah. But but if you if you have if you have faith in Jesus, then you get you get slapped with something and you go, ah, I'm gonna have to really wrestle with that. But it doesn't cause me to just leave. I think what happens is people have faith in this story they've been told, or they faith in a Christian culture, they have what a faith in a person, and it's not Jesus. Jesus right. is just part of it. And then something comes along and they get, you know, slapped with something. And, and it's like the person who, uh, you know, you hear these stories of like, uh, I, you know, I went to college and my first year biology professor, t- you know, told me something and I, I lost my faith. Well, how did you never hear about evolution before? Uh, okay, so that means right. that means that you were in a incredibly walled off upbringing. You know, homeschooled, private Christian school, something, and then you went to university after being sheltered for the first eighteen years of your life, and now you're saying I was exposed to the science in you know in in, in university, and now I don't believe. Right. Well, maybe that's true, but that tells me that your faith wasn't in Jesus. You're, you didn't you, you didn't know Jesus. You knew you knew a narrative about a certain theological narrative about creationism, and right. then somebody somebody who wasn't a straw man challenged it, and you didn't know what to do. Also true is more often, in fact, as a youth pastor, you know, for many years, almost never was that the case. I mean, I would hear that after the fact. But almost always, and social media was great for revealing this, what you suspected before social media was proved after social media, was that the the same kid, before they took Biology 101, went to Frat Party 101 and had red cups in their hands, and (laughs) they found out they really liked drinking and they liked uh, sex. And so they they basically gave themselves over to hedonism, to to living after their, their own fleshly desires. And then here's a professor that comes along that gives them a intellectual cover for their, you know, for their choice of sin. But but it's almost never like this, this, you know, stereotypical, like, I heard something, I lost my faith. Oh, I agree. You know. I, yeah. No. So I think there's. I absolutely agree. I mean. And that's so true. Uh, you know, you listen. You listen to most of these deconstruction stories, like Rhett and Link or whoever, and you're like, okay, we didn't walk away from Christ. You walked away from a um, pseudo Christian belief structure that you followed. People never followed Christ, or at least not a biblical version of who Christ is. Well, and, and Rhett and Link's a great example because they're famous. Uh, and if you, people 
don't know who they are. They they have a YouTube channel, uh, channel a YouTube channel called Good Mythical Morning. It's mm-hmm. got millions of subscribers, and then they've done you know TV shows on Food Network, and they're on the Tonight Show as guests. And they're very funny people. They're very engaging. I watch some of their videos yep. because I like comedy and food, and that's basically <laughs> what they do. Um, and so. Uh, but they grew up in the church and they came as a, as a kind of a comedy duo through crew, what used to be called campus crusade. Yep. And, and then they, uh, we actually have a video set called, uh, what's in the Bible. It's done by the guy that created veggie tales. That's yep. very good by the way. Um, and we, we have, we should, we, our kids watched it, you know, as when they were a little littler and Rhett and Link, uh, appear in these videos doing, mm-hmm. doing music. And now of course they, they, you know, disavow their faith. But when you start to read more about what they were like when they were part of like college ministry, you find out that it was a it was a place that gave them a stage, a platform where they could be the center of attention, where they could be funny, where they could you know right. And um, and they didn't actually <laughs> did they actually have faith? It's it's a fair question. I, I can't say. I don't know. Right. I pray that they well, they either find it or return to it, but. Well, it's like all the Christian like metalcore bands and stuff from the 2000s mm-hmm. that were Christian for the platform. Yeah. And then 2010 rolls around and all of them are like, oh, we're not Christians. Yeah. It, I, I have that's, like, your, that's what that that's your under oath, your Emery. That's your. Uh, yes. All that I, stuff. I have a very. I'm very mixed on those guys. Um, and I've met a couple of them. Um, yeah, I know some of those bands too. And, uh, you know, MXPX, I think about them too, because they were, uh, you know, punk band that they they started playing at church youth group. Um, yep. They actually recorded their, you know, their first like demo or whatever in the studio above the youth group at my church in the 90s. Okay. Um, and uh, my youth pastor's son discovered them. Uh, so, so we, you know, I... That is like way back connection and another another famous deconstructed Christian, somebody who's left the faith and now it kind of makes their bones on telling you why the faith is is wrong. It's a guy named Dave Bazan. You know, he's an indie indie musician. Um, in a, in a his, he goes under the band name Pedro the Lion. Oh he yeah, was, I remember he was my youth leader okay. for a little while. Okay, I was around. I you know and and so like I know it's not so much like I I have a lot of sympathy for somebody who like. Grew up in the church, grew up with Christian culture, which isn't necessarily the same thing as Jesus. And, yes. And then they they basically just want to like create art or create music or some something, do something creative. And the church says you can do that as long as you do it within this framework. And so then they say, okay, I'll start a band to reach the world for Jesus. But really, I just want to make sick music. I just want to, I just want to let the bass drop, you know. And and then they go do that, and then they get far enough away where they say, like, either they say, yeah, I'm just going to be honest right now and say I don't have faith, or they're going to, or they have some crisis of faith, but they don't have a freedom to work through it because they're now on a platform. Um, And if they have any expressions of doubt or or stepping away from that Christian culture, the culture just rips on the church culture rips on. So I have a lot of sympathy for that. And yeah, I have for sure. no sympathy for revisionism, which tends to be what a lot of the the you know Rhett and Links and Dave Bazans and you know 
this revisionism that says like I I struggled with faith. And it's like no, you you were on mission trips and reading Bible studies. You 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 made your platform and your name on the back of of the church. So you can't blame the church for your success. You should right. you know your success is because of the church. Right. But now um, you don't need them anymore. So. Yes. And now yeah. you don't need them, so you you've left them. So yeah. really, who's the bad guy there? And, and the worst part is the church, either because we're forgiving or we're dumb, you will welcome you back. You can, you can go and you can reject the church and have your successful career. And when your career stops being successful, most creators or artists just live off the residuals. But these guys have the ability to come back and make, go back, re-sign re that Christian record label and make more Christian music. <laughs> it's right it's it's this it's this weird scam um but i i think yeah i think when we're talking about going deeper and and learning more theology it's it's walking that line of i don't want to just learn a bunch of easy answers you know right. uh, uh the kind of armchair theology stuff you know i, I get so annoyed somebody sent me a video you know this apologist went to this college and he destroyed this student. Oh, really? So a guy who's been working at this for decades in apologetics went to a college and talked to like a second year college student who has no idea what they're talking about. I would hope they would destroy them. I'd be worried <laughs> if they didn't. Right, right. right. Oh, but it right. comforts us. Oh, here's a guy who's going to say everything I already believe and he's going to destroy the weak arguments of a second year college student. And then I can feel better about myself. Versus somebody going deeper and and really wrestling. That's actually you mentioned uh, Donnie Bachman. That's why I'm reading his book right now, okay. because I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff. But I realize I need to yeah. read him as a primary source. I need to not just read what people was, was say. He fault says. lines or yeah, I'm reading that right now because okay. I have it in I, my Audible. I haven't read it yet. I have yeah. a whole yeah no. Sure, we've all got a stack of books. I'm I'm working <laughs> through it. I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> there are people in my church who've read that book and really liked it, and that's cool. I'm not I'm not knocking anybody. I just I I so far have not had my opinion changed, but maybe I'll finish the book and have my opinion changed. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I think you know we talk about going deeper and stuff. Like, there are people who need genuinely need to go deeper in their faith. Right. Um, and then there's people who you know, deep, you don't need to know about the, like I said, the obscure, the obscure ancient Middle Eastern goddess. Like you, you just need to learn how to like not be a jerk or love people or whatever. Right. Yeah. For Which sure. in the bricklayer, that actually is an interesting thought because the bricklayer thing you were saying, like the guy's been like playing bricks for 40 years. Sometimes there's people in the church where I'm like, you have been walking with Jesus for 40 years. And you're still but, <laughs> Well, you, you know stuff, but because you're, you, you kind of just said, oh, that's just who I am. And you haven't let God sanctify you towards being more loving, then nobody can learn from you. Mm -hmm. Or because you're so bent on like, you know, all this stuff that's useful information, but you'd rather just talk about your pet political uh, agenda. <laughs> right, right. That makes it real or, hard. Right. Or we get into this, like we get into this, well, I ain't no pastor. Mm. Like we think it's not our job to know that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. You know why I uh, I post like I posted something about you know worship leaders knowing theology and all that stuff the other day and uh, uh, you know got 
got a thing in the comments. It's like, why are you trying to make everyone be a pastor? I'm like, I'm not. Theology is the job of everybody, not just your pastor. So it, I, I go back. We have, that one. Yeah. We, we have this. Well, that's the pastor's job mm-hmm. kind of mindset. Yeah. Like I, I just work here. I, I don't know nothing about no bricks, like the bricklayer. Yeah. Yes, I've been to church for 40 years, but I just I just sit in the pew. Like I ain't no pastor. I don't know nothing about no Bible. <laughs> yeah. I go back and forth on that. I mean, I think like it depends on what you are because we, we like to lump everything into one box, I mean, even the word pastor. Yeah. You know, the re- the reason why. American, especially West Coast American churches tend to have a solo or single pastor. Well, there's a couple reasons why, but one of the main reasons is that's our heritage. That, right. that when you're a pioneering culture, you 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 don't send five guys out to start one church. You send four guys out to start 20 churches. Right. And and, and uh, you know, our church literally began where uh, we didn't have a pastor, we shared a pastor with multiple churches. Wow. And 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 a lot of our churches, the older ones, our heritage is these circuit riders. You know, these guys came out in the 1800s to Oregon, to Washington, and they there'd be a, a German, a uh, couple German families in this one farm town. So they'd come and preach there and they'd get a church going. And then yeah. they the pastor would get on his horse and ride to this other town. There's other Germans there. They aren't church people at all, but he just have dinner with them because they spoke German. And then right. and then they become believers, and then they start a church there. So now the pastor's writing a source between two churches. Um, and, and there's a church here in Portland where it wasn't a horse, but in the early 1900s, they added a new street trolley line. And so the pastor would preach, and then in the afternoon, he'd have lunch, and then he'd get on the street trolley, and he went to this community center, uh, and there he would, uh, and there he would uh, you know, preach. Um, mm-hmm. So on the evening, so so that's kind of our heritage. But you, you only have one person doing it. But then we start to roll like everything into this one title, uh, and, and it gets confusing. Worship leader is the same thing. Like I wouldn't expect, you know, there's some guy who can, some guy or some gal who can carry a tune and they can play the piano or the guitar competently enough, and they're they're just helping out. You know, they right. they 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 they're helping people sing songs. I'm not expecting them to have like a deep theology. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's not be what nice I mean. if they would, be nice if they read a book. And like, <laughs> uh, it depends. Like, I guess it depends on what their position entails at the given church, too. Yeah. But but like if if it is their job to field new music and pick what songs are done and all of that stuff, you should have a theological basis. Because, you know, there's there's stuff out there that's just not good. That is true. Uh, so, so, so really, on the video are going to see me almost fall out of a chair there, but that's all right. Which, which, which was my whole point is, you know, we, uh, because like they're doing theology and the fact of the fact of the matter is it's just the way our brain works, which is why children's shows have so many songs in them. You're going to remember the words from the songs that you sang. Mm-hmm. More than you're going to remember anything from the sermon. Generally, that is true. Generally, that's true. So, since we're getting our theology from the songs that we sing, 
mm-hmm. the person picking the songs should be qualified. Yeah, I think um, that was the whole point of my post. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think um, I, I think the you can have a, a hand in certain things if you have somebody who's not the music leader is qualified. The problem is then they, you know, you get a pastor who has no musical knowledge at all. And then they're like, Oh, do this song. It's like, yeah, that's not realistic. No, right. You don't get how hard that song is or, um, right. you know, th- there's all these things that go into these uh, practical well, stuff, absolutely. you know, yeah. musical theory, but uh, yeah, you know, for me, theology comes first and foremost from the scripture comes from the Bible. So absolutely. So my first encouragement to anybody is just read your Bible mm-hmm. and, and uh, you can read theological books or blogs or papers or whatever, but to start off with just read your Bible, read your Bible um, yep. and uh, enjoy yeah. like, don't even, yeah, just read your Bible. Uh, don't even worry about studying it or takeaways or anything like that. Um, just enjoy the story of the Bible mm-hmm. because there's like, because there is so much theology and so much stuff that you can glean just from seeing how it works together as one, you know, overarching story arc. When, when, when you, so just read the Bible and it, it enjoy the story of the Bible and start there before yeah. you start worrying about, um, you know, any of the other stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's that story of, of how it's, it's an apocryphal story. It's that story of how the FBI teaches people to find counterfeit money. Um, and, and I know it's apocryphal because I have heard it as Scotland Yard or the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, I, depending on what country you're in, I've heard it change, but it's not untrue. You know, I used to have this job um, where I had to count thousands and thousands of dollars would pass through my hands every day because I had to count down registers. And I found counterfeit checks and bills, and I could just feel them and know that it wasn't real. I remember I was, I, I had like a stack, I had a stack of, of, of bills, and I'm just counting down like literally a couple thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden I just stopped because what was in my hand was so different than everything else that I dealt with on a daily basis. Uh, same with a check. I remember, I remember there was a, uh, I saved the guy's job because he would have gotten in big trouble for this. Somebody was trying to write a massive check, like $800, $900. Yeah. And it wasn't going through the machine right. And I, I went and tried to fix it. And the moment I touched it, I said, it's not a real check. <laughs> and uh, so I, I told the, told the scam artist, like, yeah, sorry, we can't process this. You know, what I want to buy, you know, like, no, you're, you're, we can't do this. And then after the guy left, I looked at the guy and I said, man, that's not real. He's like, what? And I realized part of his thing was he wore, this is years and years ago, this is pre-pandemic, but he wore gloves for whatever reason, you know, whether it was hygiene or some people don't like the oily feel that handling a lot of money gives you. Uh, there's, a, there's a feeling to checks and, and different things. But he always wore gloves. So his fingers never touched the real thing. He never touched real money. He never touched the checks. He always... He always wore these latex gloves. And there's something about that. If you're more and more in the scripture, you'll know the real thing when you come across it. Yep. Um, which is kind of an interesting 
and and maybe hopeful way to end this. Um, uh, you know, it, it, history professor made the point that most major heresies, unless they spin off into their own cult or or heretical, you know, group, most of the time the church re- returns to orthodox theology. Um, yeah. And, and, he, and we were it was specifically we we're talking about Athanasius and the uh, arguments over the Trinity, you know, mm-hmm. you know and uh, and and the groups that the parts of the the early church that that couldn't buy into the Trinity. If you look at church history, within a few hundred years, they were all affirming the Trinity, for the most and, part. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's always. Even historians in the out. East that stayed till even, you know, no, but even the historians came around later. Yeah, uh, within within a few hundred years, they 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 either came around or they softened to the place where, like on paper, they said one thing and in reality they did another. Because right. uh, sometimes it's harder to change the paper than it is to just you know live in a practical reality. Yeah. Uh, but but I think there's something encouraging about that, that even where we kind of look around and we say, man, there's this in the American church and eventually the true church gets back to the right spot. Um, and it may just be off base for a, for a generation or two. Um, and that's incredibly encouraging to me, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, we're kind of hitting on the, on the wall on time. So uh, anything you want to, you want to share before we're done or uh, thing you want to promote or just kind of a final thought you want to leave folks with? let's see gosh not really i mean we've talked to talked about a bunch we've talked about a bunch um i don't do closers really well because all this rabbit trail into something else but um so so i'll I'll do it for you then if if some if somebody wants to uh find your your podcast uh they just go on all the platforms and search oh yeah 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 so uh, yeah, so currently uh, the website is reconstructedfaithpodcast.com. Um, you can find both Reconstructed Faith and Commuter Christian there. Um, I'm on Facebook uh, just as Matthew Winter. And then um, I'm um, BromatRF on Twitter. And then I'm working on getting Instagram um, set up because there's going to be a brand change soon. There's a, there's, there's two other reconstructed faith podcasts. So um, just for visibility, I'm brand changing. So um, soon everything will be on, everything will be at brothermatthew.net. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate your time. And uh, we'll, we'll chat again, but thanks for being on the talk about anything podcast and uh, appreciate the time you've had with us.